Joe, what's going on? Robert, where are you? I <laughs> <laughs> I am uh, I'm ensconced here safely in the lovely burg of Pitts. That would be Pittsburgh. And you have to be the craziest person ever because, as some people know, uh, you were in Cleveland two days ago, yet you decided to go all the way back to the West Coast and then come all the way back to pretty much where you were. I mean, that's well, that's well, rounding uh, error from Cleveland. That is correct. I'm not sure that the Pittsburgh's Isians, the Pittsburghians, I don't know how that would be, but uh, I'm not sure they would call themselves a rounding error of Cleveland. Um, <laughs> Met with all due respect, actually. Yes, yes. of course. Um, but yeah, I mean, otherwise I would have been on the road for a full two weeks, um, and that's not going to do for anybody. So yes, it was worth the extra three and a half hour flight to go home, spend the day and a half really with the with the wife, and get to hang out a little bit. But yes, I am back in this part of the world for the next couple of days. There you go. Yeah, absolutely. And then, of course, uh, I had you know a great time with my son in New York. We got to see Billy Joel and uh, just got back two days ago on that one. So it was, you know, it's just, it's nice to have, I mean, I, mean, I love my kids. Don't get me wrong. I love them. But it's nice that one of my kids loves Billy Joel the way I love Billy Joel. So oh, yeah, <laughs> just, I mean, we get to well, share that together. Yeah, it's, it's it's nice when your kids like the things that you like, exactly. right? Because you know, then you get to then you get to do those things. That's that's the that's that's one of the secrets of good parenting, exactly. is what that is. Although my my youngest son did share his playlist with me, and I could almost understand about three seconds of one of the songs. So I, I that's a moral victory. Uh, so there you, you mean- go. The non Billy Joel, the non Billy Joel. Yeah, this is the this is the other son where I. That's right. Okay, where, where gotcha. You know, he's he's into. It's not even rap or, or hip hop. It's something else. It's uh, it's like oh, you watched the, you watched the um, the Grammys last night, right? Some I did. I did watch the Grammys last night. It's yes. very similar to the, what's the guy that did the earthquake song? Uh, oh, um. the creator. Something <laughs> yes. the creator. The creator. Yes. Yes. That was that's pretty much the stuff he listens to. Yeah, it's yeah. I I yeah. I'm old. Let's just put it that <laughs> well, way. No, you didn't say. Now, when I watched that happen, I wish I could come up with the name. Maybe you can you could find it. But when the creator did his thing, I I mean I paid attention to it. Everything's shaking around. And first I said that's very very creative and very original. And the next thing I said was, and I'm very old because I just <laughs> don't get it. It is Tyler, the creator, Tyler, by the way, the just creator. for this. Tyler, yes. the creator. You know, it, should, it might as well be Kyle, the creator. You know? <laughs> well, we don't know his name anyway. He's just, he'll always be the creator. Yeah. It's just, you know, hey, Kyle, yeah. the creator. What's up, Kyle? What's up, man? <laughs> so, should, I don't know. I mean, we're we're releasing this pretty shortly after some horrible news. I don't know if you have to uh, take it. I mean, it was, it was the, the Kobe Bryant disaster happened right in your backyard. Pretty much. It's awful. Yeah, it happened literally about a mile and a half or two miles from my house. Um, we back right up into that giant park where uh, they they flew into the hillside there. So yeah, it's just awful. I mean, it's just you know, I guess it goes to show how beloved Kobe really was um, or is. And you know, I just uh, I feel awful for his family and of course all the families. You know, there were nine other or eight other people on that helicopter. So it's uh, yeah, I feel exactly. awful. I feel awful for it. It's just such a tragic, tragic thing. Hearts go out to all the families. It's really crazy. Something my son said, because I asked him, I said, was, was everybody talking about Kobe Bryant at school today? He said, absolutely everyone was. So it tells you how popular he was with, with the kids. And he said, he made this remark, which I thought was odd because he's, he's only 16 years old. He said, it's the biggest celebrity uh, accidental death since Princess Di. Really? Now, I mean, that's what I, because I, I was going, it was going through my head like, well, you got Michael Jackson, you've got uh, Prince, you've got, and I was, but, you know, top five. I don't know. I mean, that's not something we really want to think about, but I just thought it was odd. I, you know, I guess so. I mean, I'm not, he would, look, he would have that reference point. You know, so. with with no comment on the the 
quality of their or you know yeah. uh, you know sort of epicness of the tragedy here. Um, I, and I'm not a basketball guy at all, really. Um, so even though he was played, you know, his entire career for the Lakers, I, I, I just, I, you know, I guess I'm surprised at that. Um, I guess I'm also surprised because his, you know, his general uh, reputation was that he wasn't a very, you know, that, it, that, that, that he wasn't well liked, I guess, in the sport. But I mean, none of that matters, of course. But but the the uh, you know I mean it's 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 hugely tragic and it's just awful. Um, and he but, and he uh, but actually from a reputation standpoint that switched quite a bit because for the last five years I I would say he has he has totally done a one eighty with his reputation. Yes, I that I heard too. Really, that I, that really I something else. Well. And uh, and then I mean. It was I, I didn't watch the whole Grammys. I watched maybe an hour, hour and twenty minutes, but it seemed like everyone made a reference to Kobe oh, Bryant. There was like so he was much. everybody's best friend, which I guess that's what you know happens when you get a celebrity event like that. But it it was stunning to me. I was I was stunned that they basically changed the show to accommodate yeah. that. So it's just oh, interesting. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Well, hey, we should we should probably uh, you know speaking of getting the show going here we know I, I you know what that. now is a really good time to, <laughs> yeah, to tell everyone exactly. we're changing the entire show to a current events show <laughs> right exactly <laughs> no let's gonna... uh, yeah i think we should take your cue on this one yeah let's uh let's definitely roll and now for your listening pleasure here's polizzi and rose pnr with this old marketing take it away boys Hello, my friends. This is Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 226 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded Monday, January 27th, 2020. And with me, my good friend, my colleague, and a guy who's got more selfies in the cloud than Lev Parnas, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? <laughs> you may be right, because in, in New York, I, I took at least 30 or 40 selfies with my yeah, dad. So I, it seems like Lev Parnas has a new selfie every day. I oh mean, my goodness. This is, this is crazy. But. I couldn't resist that one. When I saw all your selfies, I was like, oh yeah, okay. I think I got, I got this week's opening. Well, and I even <laughs> held back too. I held, uh, I, I held back sure on the number did. because there were so many to choose from. Actually, my oldest was, as we were going around New York, I told him, I, I warned him ahead of time. I said, Joshua, I'm going to document this whole thing, so there's going to be a lot of pictures. But I don't think he could imagine the amount of picture taking. <laughs> he, he didn't understand he the didn't enormity. Didn't understand what I meant of the by documentary document. film yes, production a, that was going to happen. A, yeah, it's a documentary, and I think I kept the camera on the entire time. But <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, it was something else. What, what a wonderful time that was. So I'm so glad. Yeah, I am and, so glad. And I, so we talked enough in the beginning. I guess we're okay. Did we even like how was you? You do all the the news stories for the week. Was it a busier? week in marketing than it was it feels like it's starting to kick in um you know but it was uh there was a few things and a fun some fun things for us to talk about um and uh as well as for us a couple of things to rant and rave about um but uh yeah let's get to the top of the show of course which is the one news article that from the week or the last couple of weeks that sort of sets the tone for what we're going to sort of talk about here. And this one is going to come courtesy of LinkedIn, of all places, um, where basically it's uh, some reports. Of course, one of the big news items over the last week or so has been the uh, Davos, uh, which happens every year, and the World Economic Forum that happens there. And the LinkedIn uh, post that we'll cover uh, talks about the jobs of the future. And it opens up by saying an in-depth study from the World Economic Forum supported by data from LinkedIn, hence the source of the news, reveals that the jobs of tomorrow or emerging jobs that are in urgent demand worldwide. Over the next three years, says the article, 37% of projected opportunities will be in the care economy. 17% 17% in sales, marketing, and content, and that'll be the important one, obviously, that we cover, uh, 16% in data and AI, 
12% in engineering and cloud computing, and 8% in people and culture. Uh, the article goes on to talk a little bit more about um, that, but it's pretty short. Um, we then clicked through to the article, of course, and, and that's where you can download the PDF of the entire report. So did you get a chance to look at the report, Joe, and, and what did you think? I did. It's, uh, first of all, very thorough report. Not the not the most fun you'll ever have going through a 29-page presentation. Yeah, right. It's pretty dry. <laughs> it's pretty yeah. dry. I'm like, could they make this information any drier? Uh, I guess the question I want to ask you first, and, I, and, and I've got some notes written down here, but were you surprised by the the 17% in, in sales and marketing? And and I don't know if you caught this, but as I was going through the numbers, it said the the number three thing in the marketing, sales, and content basket, if you will, was understanding the strategy of content marketing. That's which right. Just, I was like, yes. what? Yeah, Are you exactly. kidding me? Yes. I, so just to, just to uh, uh, expand on that a little bit, yeah. So first of all, the thing that blew me away is that they separated out. Yes. Right? The category isn't sales and marketing; it's sales, marketing, and content. So that's the first thing that was very pleasing to the eye to see that they separated out that function. Um, the second thing, just to the point you were making, there was when they asked people the sort of most desired training or education or what they thought they really needed, you're right. The third most popular was the strategy of content marketing, which just bodes well for all of us that are trying to make a business case or some sort of more strategic function out of the idea of content marketing. It's, you know, and the other thing that was, this is deeper in the report where they actually talk about the job titles of the future. And if you look at the sales, marketing, and content category, I think there are 25 jobs listed, but six of them, six of the 25, are all related to content. It, with the, what's, I think, social media assistant was one. You've got, yeah. um, there was the content specialist. You have digital, digital marketing. That included content. I mean, really uh, surprising. And I guess if, you know, it's interesting to see what, you know, what do you do with this? Uh, especially with, I mean, a lot of it, the report talked about AI and we, we have talked about on this podcast before about how artificial intelligence is going to change the roles of content production where some of that content is going to be produced by an algorithm. And so what's the, what's the real job in the future going to be? And if you, if you take what you just talked about with the 17% sales marketing and content and all this content marketing stuff, and you marry it with the most important skills that they talk about and and the number one on any one of these at the top of any one of these charts you look at are business skills understanding business skills business models and i just i guess i want to marry those two together i want to marry the whole sales marketing and content thing with the business skills and say now we've got a winner because i don't I'm not a, a betting person when it comes to what content role it's going to be, what kind of content creation we're talking about. But I can put pretty good money to say that if you are understand the practice of content marketing and understand the, uh, let's say, the different roles involved in that production process, and you also understand the models behind it, and that's the business part of it, where you can understand the revenue line, the profit line, uh, how you tweak a certain model where you're just you're looking at more than let's just say advertising or lead generation you're looking at all the different ways that you can generate revenue then I'm excited then I'm then I think we really have something and I think that's something for the next 10 20 years well I think you're right um, you know and that goes back to my original sort of giddiness I guess it is over the fact that they broke it out right I mean, we have been long saying, I mean, this has sort of been my, you know, my stump speech for the last two years, um, you know, to say, you know, when I talk about sort of the big, hairy, audacious goal is I want to elevate content to the same level in the business as sales, marketing, legal, PR, you know, I think it deserves as strategic a treatment and function as all of those other practices. And the fact that they broke it out says to me that there is at least a recognition that exactly what you're talking about, that it, treating it with the same respect that we would the revenue and the, the savings line on the spreadsheet is, you know, is something that people are thinking about, right? Whether or not the job functions themselves actually turn into the jobs that we recognize today, 
you know, whether it's writer or content strategist or content specialist or content director or, con- you know, whatever it is, the function of content as communication as a separate function than sales, marketing, or PR is, I think, the most important and exciting thing. Just to take a step sideways here for a second, and I don't know, um, maybe you've, you've probably looked at some of this stuff more than I have over the years, but it, why do you think that the sales, marketing, and content area is so important here? I mean, versus why is it growing? When we're looking, because you look at the, the rest of the list, you're talking about healthcare, of course, and you're talking about AI, data science, all those things are very high. Well, then we're talking about sales and marketing which is very right. different than the other ones. That's right. So do you have a take on why that's that's the future, if you will, of, well, job, I guess, job growth? Yeah, I do. I mean, it's because, you know, you can sort of see it happening in front of us, which is, you know, one of the, um, you know, one of the, 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 the quotes um, that you actually love to uh, to 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 um, you know to always use is the one from Don Schultz, right? The largely considered the father of integrated marketing communications, who talks about that people can talk, you know, they can copy everything you do, but they can't copy the way you communicate. And in today's world, you know, with the quote unquote democratization of you know fill in the blank, right? democratization of technology, democratization of distribution, docu- you know, democratization of, of content syndication, publication. You even mentioned it when you said that AI and technology may at some point take over large swaths of content production. Yeah. The, the one thing it can't uh, duplicate, the one thing that it can't uh, emulate is the wisdom and originality of human-based communication. And that is where we differentiate these days in a world where everybody can distribute and publish and has access to the same channels and it's all become a big commodity. The one thing that can't be duplicated is the way that we communicate. So sales, marketing, and content at its core are about how a company communicates its differentiation. So I think it's imminently um, you know, a, a part of the growth of any any business, you know, cross industry. And that's why I think we're seeing such a focus on it. You know, it's interesting. I it's sort of relevant to our conversation, but I saw this quote and I, I can't, I think it's Robert Kiyosaki, who's the rich dad, poor dad. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah. So he has a quote for whatever you think of him. He, he has a quote out there that he's, it's, it says, they never said it's a best writer. They said it's a bestseller. <laughs> Which I thought that's it's that's sort funny. of it's exactly what you're saying, and I think this is what we're starting to see. And you and I can probably name some technology companies in our industry that don't have the best product, but have the best marketing. Oh, of course, and absolutely. It's always been that way, right? But I think today, even more so, with all the challenges and ways that we can reach, and we'll talk more about this later as we're talking about some of this cookie stuff and first-party data, but. I think that's where the real important, uh, where you're talking about basically persuasive communications in the future have never been more important than they are now. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, it's that, you know, the, at, the, at the heart of just what you said and, and that quote is, you know, and it's, and it's one of the things that we, when we go in and have workshops or when we go in and have client engagements and we talk to, to people about measurement and how are you measuring ROI of content, it's because we're mostly measuring exactly the wrong thing. You know, we measure the content, not the impact the content is having. And we, you know, so we measure ourselves by quantity of content produced, you know, number of tweets, number of press releases, number of articles, you know, size of our website, you know, number of emails sent, all of that. And we don't actually measure the impact, the behavioral change that we're actually trying to create. And we just sort of chalk that up to, eh, it's, you know, immeasurable. And of course it's not, it can be measured. You just have to get out of technology and actually apply a human element to it. Is that changing in the meetings, strategic meetings you're having at all? Is it, is it getting better? Yes, absolutely. It is. Absolutely. It is by one, by necessity. And two, I think it's, there's an overall trend that I'm seeing where there is a slowing that's happening. There is a recognition that we have been, you know, that 
you know, uh, Anne Handley talked about this. Um, I think last year, one of her major talks was this idea of the, you know, sort of slow food and slow movement and everybody's slowing down. And I'm seeing some other speakers out there in the circuit that are talking about the idea of how businesses are starting to finally slow down a little bit and sort of, okay, let's, let's think about what, what it is we're doing here. Cause we're in this for the long run. And so that whole idea of, iterate, 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 you know, so fast that you don't have time to think, you know, the whole fail fast thing and get it, you know, get it up and get it out and ship it and all of that stuff. That idea, I think, is starting to get balanced a little bit with the idea of quality and the idea of really thinking about what it is and how we want to communicate, um, you know, has sort of settled in a little bit. And so now what I'm starting to see is, okay, Let's think about how we're going to measure this thing called content. Well, thank goodness for that. <laughs> well, Jeez. you know, yeah. I mean, it's about time. I mean, right? come on. You know? <laughs> now, here's the thing. I'm not saying it's there yet. I know. <laughs> but it's but it's it's happening. It's starting to happen now. So it's, you know, I mean, as we climb up into, I guess, what, you know, Gartner would call the plateau of effectiveness or whatever the heck it is out of their hype cycle, you know, where content marketing is now proving to be useful if you sort of, you know, approach it as a strategic option. I, I think we're starting to see its usefulness and sort of some of the early hype wear off of it. Well, it's it's it was an interesting enough study, even though I mean, I thought they could have made it a little bit more fun. But yeah, I did, right. well, I did yeah. send it to my son and I said, you know, here's a report that Robert and I are going to talk about on the podcast. And I know you're both thinking about what you want to do for, you know, a career or just whatever what you want to study in college and things like that. So I, I thought yeah. this would be helpful. Maybe they'll open it. I yeah, don't know. Absolutely. <laughs> well, they'll in between Billy Joel songs. Exactly. There you go. Absolutely. All right. Let's move on now to our second segment of the show, which, of course, is our articles in depth, where we couple of uh, articles we'll cover in a little more depth of stuff that has caught our attention over the last week or so. And this is one, interestingly, I had in my list and you had in your list. I had a different article um, than the one you pointed to. So we'll actually put two links in the show notes um, here. But it all is around the same news, which, of course, is Google's announcement that within the next couple of years, uh, they're going to kill off the third-party cookie. Um, And if you don't know what the third-party cookie is or what a third-party cookie is, just imagine that you're surfing around the web and you see targeted ads for stuff. You're like, what? Where did I went? What? And basically, it's as cookies get assembled in your browser, basically the sort of cookie trail, if you will, of where you have been on the web. And basically, companies can use not their own data, but those that they get from ad tech companies and other places to actually target you and the profile that you leave behind on the web. And Google has spoken based on consumer pressure for sure, privacy laws, all sorts of things. Google has finally said in the last couple of weeks that the third party cookie is dead. Um, The article that we'll speak to first is this from what's new in publishing.com. And that's the one that Joe had sent over. Um, And he's, and it says no more speculation, rumor or dread. Last week, Google finally announced that it will block third party cookies in the Chrome browser within the next two years. The news, while largely expected, has sent shockwaves across the media and marketing industries. But for publishers, this isn't time to panic. It's time to celebrate. With the death of third-party data, publishers will be in prime position as one of the only holders of the first-party data on consumers advertising or clamoring for. <laughs> they haven't met content marketing. Yeah, exactly. Anyway. Exactly. <laughs> so, exactly how I read into it. Yeah, exactly. So, what 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 is your take here? What what did you think when you read this article? Well, uh, it's good for anybody that has been practicing content marketing over the past few years because. Uh, if you're doing it right, then you've got a lot of first-party data. You've got a lot of subscription data. You've got audiences you've been building. Uh, so this is no big deal. But the one thing in, in the article that you shared in the Digiday article, which we'll share in the show notes, I thought was funny, is, is it basically says, you know, don't think that Google's doing this out of the kindness of their heart. No, for privacy reasons. Yeah. Google's right. doing this because they will, uh, they will benefit greatly from having all the first-party data that they have. Of course, because guess what? They're publishers too, right? 
They're, their publishing content just happens to be you, the user, right? So as you use Gmail or you use YouTube or you use any of the apps that Google provides you for quote-unquote free, well, guess what they're doing, folks? But what's interesting about the two articles in combination, which is it's odd that you did this, they're, they both forget about corporations, non-publishers, non-media companies creating their own first-party data. They don't yes. talk about it. It's it's amazing they're, to me they're, that they're, neither of them said, do. Didn't they both? I almost used the same words like, oh, my God, now brands have to cozy up with publishers and media companies. I'm like, what? That's right. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 the, my favorite was at the end of the Digiday article where one of the ad tech uh, providers basically says, ooh, you know, this is really good news for those publishers who are going to be maintaining their own first-party data because now all of a sudden that's going to be truly valuable for advertisers. And I said, well, yeah, but you could just literally replace brand or product company in there as well. And, and you know, I mean, to me, it's one of those things where if you're trying to build a business case for some sort of publishing, you know, effort – uh, where you're building audience engagement and first-party data, all you need to do is print out these two articles and go, this is it. Th- this is where you know we've got two years to figure this out um, because this is going to be huge. For those companies that can actually start to generate a wealth of first-party data, and the other thing I thought was really interesting, um, and I don't know if you caught this in the Digiday article, but was where they talked about some publishers may start to band together. In other words, and I think this is a huge entrepreneurial, like anybody out there that's feeling entrepreneurial at the moment, if there could be a way to band together a partnership. So imagine, for example, the New York Times and Condé Nast and, you know, a number ESPN, you know, Disney were to band together and all of a sudden say, we're all going to be one happy family. Um, in terms of the way that we treat data and we're going to create a separate organization, it'll just be first-party data. That's a really interesting idea. And that's not one that's limited to just publishers. Businesses could do that as well. You don't think that's happening already? I do think it's happening. Yeah. I do think it's happening, but I think there's not, you know, I think that's where some ad tech company is going to pivot and do that. And But here's the thing. The challenge of it, of course, you know, if you're looking at this as an investor side of things and you go, well, you're going to have to go convince Disney and Condé Nast and New York Times to go on one system and getting them, you know, getting them on one system would be just huge. I mean, it would be such a such a a lift. I just don't think it's going to happen. And so I think that will be ultimately the biggest challenge of doing anything like that would be getting everybody to agree on, you know, what system it's going to be. So the, I think I know the answer to this, but I'm going to, a, I'm going to ask one thing and I'm going to, I'm going to put another thing out there. The first thing is just hold your answer for a second, Robert. Okay. So the, the, the first thing is, is that <laughs> with this whole third party cookie things, what, what would you, um, people that uh, believe in the practice of content marketing or don't for that matter, what would you say they need to do right now because of that? So hold that answer. Okay. But the other thing I just want to mention is, what what is with marketing media companies today? Is there some kind of myopia going on where they, they're just so biased toward this idea that brands can actually create their own communication, direct communication channels that they don't even mention it? There's two pretty good, pretty decent publishers right here that we're talking to. They've, we've, we've quoted them many times on this podcast, talked about them many times, and they whoever's writing these articles... They, they don't even see the idea that, oh, my God, yeah, brands are media companies. We just – I don't get it. So I, I don't have to I don't respond either. to that. Yeah. But I'm just like, yeah. what no, the I don't heck either. is going on? I don't either. I mean, I you know, look, we can get drunk on our own Kool-Aid for sure. Um, and, that you know, <laughs> yes, so it, it may just be that we're, you know, we're really fans of this idea and not as many people are, which just, you know, would be shocking to me. Um, but – in all seriousness, I, it is it is a little weird that no one has sort of like drawn this line, even with as popular as things like 
you know, Mel magazine with uh, with Dollar Shave Club and some of the bigger sort of, you know, branded content or content marketing platforms that are out there that none of these marketing magazines have sort of drawn that line to say, oh, right, this could work too. Um, the answer to your second question, by the way, is I'd go acquire somebody. I'd go acquire somebody tomorrow. So wait, okay, so you're a brand. You just got yeah. this news. You've got two years. Yep. And you're going yep. to acquire, let's say, a media company in your industry? Is that what you're telling me? Yes, that is correct. That's or brilliant. Multiples. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Where did you hear that? that? I don't know. I read a book. I read I, there was a book. There was a book about uh, marketing being killed or something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes, I would probably say the same thing. And yeah, probably probably do it very, fairly quickly. Yeah. Uh, before. I don't want this to sound bad because I love media companies and I love publishing models, but there are still a lot of media companies out there that are struggling quite a bit. And that's why brands can get them at a reasonable price if they wish to do so. But if, if this thing goes the way we think it's going to go, it's going, it could theoretically breathe new life into media, the traditional well, it's media. Already br- yeah. We talked last week or the week, uh, you know, when, when the last show about how it's breathed new breath, breathed breath, breathing breath. I don't know. Some sort There's of participle. There's new of air fur. in the yeah. balloon. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it breathed new life into journalism. There's certainly no, you know, no reason it can't breathe new life into publishing. But that segues beautifully into our last uh, article that we want to cover oh, yes. this week. Um, which is uh, from Axios, actually, uh, axios.com. And the idea here is the one big idea that they're publishing out here in this article, Digital Media Breakthrough is the headline. Uh, And the article starts by saying, digital publishing is doing something it hasn't done en masse since the dawn of the internet. And what is that thing? Make money. Uh, Why it matters, they say. Well, Business Insider, Vox Media, The Information, Axios, and Politico all turned profits in 2019. In several cases, for the first time ever, sources sell Axios. Others are expecting to do so this year, including The Athletic, BuzzFeed, and Vice. And so they, the article then goes on to talk about five big trends that are working in digital media's favor, including new copyright laws, uh, tech companies getting ahead of it, uh, increased demand for content creators, a regulatory and cultural shift toward privacy, which of course is just what we talked about, and the growth of big murky online marketplaces. So what say you? Is this so just to our previous discussion around acquisitions, is it time for you know, is is time running out, or is this the optimum time to buy now because then you could sell high? Well, from a from an acquisition standpoint, we're we're still in the sweet spot territory, I think, because we, I haven't seen. I don't know if you have, Robert. I still haven't seen levels even close to what we saw years ago for what media companies were going for. Um, and frankly, there's just a lot of uh, let's say founders. Uh, and CEOs that have been there for a long time. I'm not talking about your big media conglomerates. I'm talking about, let's say that you are in the uh, transportation industry, transportation logistics. Well, there's three, four really good media titles there. And some of them are owned by founders that are ready to sell. Yeah. I've talked to some of them. They're, Absolutely. And, and you know what? They're not getting approached by any of their advertisers because their advertisers aren't thinking about it. Exactly. It's just unbelievably sad and that's the first thing when you and i mean, how many meetings have you and i gone into and say hey, uh, we talked to the cmo and say hey, have, you, have you thought about acquiring a media company and they look like <laughs> got five heads well like, that's you what? know and you know what that is you know what that is that is going all the way back to what we just talked about in the world economic forum and your sort of mini rant about marketing and content and sales really focusing on the business strategy rather than sort of just a tactical campaigns and putting leads in the funnel strategy, right? CMOs, even at larger companies, look at that idea as way above their pay grade. You know what I mean? And, And so whenever we talk to marketing teams about that idea, you know, and especially when we talk to practitioner teams, you know, at the mid or even senior mid level, the idea of acquiring a company 
they don't even know who the M&A or business development people are in their organization, much less have the, you know, quote unquote, political power to be able to go suggest something like that. It's just most businesses are so siloed these days in terms of that kind of idea that they just go, ugh. You know, I, I can't even be bothered, quite frankly. I got to keep the lights on. And what you're talking about is actually going and building, you know, a new light bulb. Yeah. It, well, when I read this, so you're thinking about acquisition. We're talking about, okay, there are media companies out there now, media models that are profitable. I think we covered a couple episodes ago about BuzzFeed's, you know, selling of Household yeah. equipment, uh, household appliances. $260 million. Yeah. And they're, yeah, so a half a billion dollars projected in 2020 for selling products that they, you know, five years ago they weren't selling anything. So that's all good. That's, that's all wonderful. But the thing when I read this, Robert, what I thought about was when does it, is it five years? Is it 10 years? Is it never? But when is it going to happen that marketing gets off the expense line? And goes to the revenue profit line. <laughs> well, I think we're waiting a while. I think you, I think you and I are going to be, you and I are going to have gray hair and be those two guys up in the theater going, hey, you know, yelling at Fozzie Bear. You know what well, I mean? So yeah. you, if we're you, not already, you're probably right, and you probably what you said before. We're probably drinking too much of the Kool Aid, but the trajectory is there. Yeah, of it course is it is. Absolutely yeah. possible. We're going to start to see smaller companies do this. Where they're gonna be like, of course we, you know, we obviously we covered quite a few in killing marketing, where they're like, well, shoot, our market marketing makes us money. I mean, I love the Cleveland Clinic blog, um, Health Essentials case study, that they cover basically all the costs of their yep. content department through yep. revenue generating products, and they they anticipate in the next couple of years being profitable on those. I, it's I know it's it's. Uh, Anyways, yeah. I mean, I don't want to keep talking about the same stuff, but <laughs> I yeah. can't help it. I just can't help it because I, I want to sh- I want to sh- shake these media companies out here for talking this way and say, hey, it's this is happening. Somebody cover it. Shake it off. Shake it off. Shake it off. I'm doing Taylor Swift now. She, why wasn't she at the Grammys last night? I, she's mad, apparently. I think that's what I heard. What's she mad at? I what, if, what, what, what isn't Taylor Swift mad at? I heard she's, she's got uh, a new uh, she's got a new like Netflix documentary coming out, doesn't she, or something? <laughs> Whatever, I don't know. It's called I don't uh, know Miss the Americana. Answer. I don't know the like answer that. to that. I'm 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 fine. I'm I'm having trouble keeping up with Kyle the Creator. So <laughs> <laughs> Kyle, oh man, I'm I'm always gonna think of it as as Kyle Kyle the, the Creator. creator. No. Hey, hey we listen, do, wait, wait, wait. Yeah, we do have wait. some Taylor Swift fans in our audience. I'm positive i'm oh good i'm sure there are go ahead and I'm shout sure it out use are, this yeah. old marketing hashtag <laughs> yeah and get and, get and, us get us under the ire of taylor swift any, and anyone who listens to taylor swift or kyle the creator we want to yeah. hear from you <laughs> there we go there we go well we're in trouble now yeah. hey speaking of which let's not get in trouble and let's talk about our oh, wonderful sponsor absolutely uh we are very, very excited to talk about the Content Tech Summit coming up very, very soon in sunny San Diego, April 20th to 22nd, 2020. You need to register now at contenttechsummit.com. And we have a very, very special coupon code for you. If you type in PNR, that's the letter P, the letter N, and the letter R, and 100 behind it, you will save $100 on your registration. You definitely don't want to miss this. New technologies innovative processes are fundamentally changing we just talked about this we're gonna all the stuff we basically talked about on the episode today they're gonna talk about it content tech summit they're gonna actually yeah. talk about it they're not gonna ignore it they're not gonna ignore it like these other marketing media companies do they're That's gonna right. talk about it they're gonna address it they're gonna have some solutions for it yeah absolutely have to be there some really cool speakers from some amazing brands and what's the uh who's the keynote uh, that you guys signed up for uh, the guy that worked at uh, Saturday Night Live. Oh, you're you're asking. I'm me sorry that I didn't. <laughs> there's a. They've got a really good. See, this is terrible. I feel bad. It's a really good keynote that they they. It's really great it's and wonderful, um, wonderful keynote. Alan Zweibel. Thank, thank you, you. very. <laughs> Gosh, see, it was right on the tip. Put of my me on tongue. this. Yeah, it was right there on the tip. Yeah. It's like Taylor Swift or Kyle the Creator. Yeah, it's, it's e- uh, exactly back in the day. And then, of course, all these wonderful brands are going to be there. So go to contenttechsummit.com. You're going to want to be there April 20th to 22nd. When you do, 
please get your hundred dollars off. Plus, it helps us because you know you're using our coupon code, and you know that you know then you listen. So it's yeah, all good. Exactly. PNR one hundred. PNR one hundred. PNR one hundred. Yeah, it's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to it. All right. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it is now time uh, for your favorite part of the show, the empirically proven favorite part of the show, which, of course, is our rants and rave section where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave that makes us feel, oh, you know, like we've just acquired a media company or that, quite frankly, that we are listening to Kyle, the creator. Um, and let's see. Uh, you Do you you have raves? Yes. Do you I have want raves. To you want to go? You, let's let's have you go first. You want me? To, you want me to go? I've got yeah. a couple of raves here. Uh, for some reason, you know, I'm all over the place today. We're going to get complaints on this episode. You know the uh, you know that uh, snowman uh, you know that goes happy birthday. I can't get that out of my head. That's all I keep thinking about. I have no idea why. Happy birthday. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> Anyways, I'm sorry. Uh, it's Frosty the Snowman, by the way, just to be clear. Yeah, the snowman yeah. guy. Yeah. All right, so here's the deal. So uh, some of some, you... <laughs> Sorry, you can't stop laughing. <laughs> um, as, some of, as some of you know, I, uh, I do something called uh, red coating at uh, Playhouse Square in Cleveland. That's basically volunteering. So... Uh, my wife and I, we volunteer on Tuesday. Actually, I've got uh, two shows tomorrow that we're doing. And we volunteer as ushers. And we usually have programming for students. They're, sometimes they're small, smaller children. Uh, like tomorrow, I think we're doing The Very Hungry Caterpillar, which I'm really looking forward to, Robert. Uh, but last week, we did a show called Unauthorized Biography. And I think I told you a little bit about this, but this was fascinating. So the creator of Unauthorized Biography is a gentleman named Sean Booth. He's a hip-hop specialist rapper. He's been doing it for a long, long time. And I really didn't know what to expect. So basically, all these 10th and 11th graders are jammed into the Ohio Theater. And he gets started with this whole thing. And it is an amazing storytelling approach. So what he does is he will talk about it. And it was, it was right after Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And uh, he went to, um, did, did a whole rap on MLK. And it was basically the history of MLK. And he did it in a really interesting way. Fun, had a beat, all that stuff. He did uh, Malala. He did Muhammad Ali. And in between, so he'll, he does one of these unauthorized biographies, which are really informative, and you just don't forget things because he's doing it through music and doing it through hip-hop. And then he will talk about the learnings of that to all these kids. And he talked about, uh, it's basically, a motiv- it's like a motivational speaker, Robert. He was just going through this, and th- these kids... That's awesome. It was really, really awesome. It was a really interesting way to do it. First of all, I don't think these kids knew the history of these people. So he's telling them... And then he's going through, you know, he went through the whole thing where, you know, it was Cassius Clay. Then it went, he went to Muhammad Ali. Why did he do that? And he was, uh, you know, he because uh, he was um, fighting against the war or protesting against the war in Vietnam. He was vilified during that time. He was going through the whole thing. And then he talked about afterward, like, sometimes you have to do the right thing. And sometimes it's, a no, it's hard to know what the right thing is. And he used that. And I just wanted to send out some love. Uh, it's if you go to seanbooth.com, it's s h a u n b o o t h e dot com. I just think it's such an interesting way to do a musical, which is basically what he did. So he's doing a musical here, but he's educating, he's motivating through stories of really amazing people, and this is not, you know, I mean, it's not rocket science what he's doing. But he's done, he's telling stories in a different way, and he's really affecting people in a positive way. And I just wanted to send a shout out. I just thought it's so interesting what he's doing. That's a, such a cool thing. I mean, you know, it, I mean, it speaks to, I mean, it, you know, we were, we've been joking around on the show about, you know, Taylor Swift and Kyle the Creator and all of that kind of stuff, but it speaks to the idea of how stories, and not only the stories, um, but the context, you know, the sort of, Rapper, the way that we tell stories change changes, you know, to address you know new audiences, right? Like kids, um, and you know, we we were joking around earlier about the 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 research report from the World Economic Forum not being terribly entertaining and being a dry thing, and 
you know, so often history or autobiographies or biographies can be so boring. But what you're what you're saying is basically this is a way to make it memorable, you yep. know, because it's it's packaged in a really interesting way. There's a lot to learn from that. Well, it's it's interesting, and as I'm as I'm watching him on stage, and then I watch his videos, I'm thinking, you know, look look at a lot of the online education today. And if I was to look at a lot of the online education, not 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 all of it, but most of it, is not compa- comparable to what you can get at a let's say a real life college situation. Sure, but it's not going to be that way for long. I think that what Sean is doing right now could be something that is accepted as a credible way to learn in five <laughs> years, in six years. Like when you say online learning, this is online learning. Like I'm, oh he's got gosh. how many, how many, he's got all these, I don't know, he's got 50 of these things on YouTube. So if you wanted to learn about Mahatma Gandhi, you go, you, I mean, you get amazing three and a half minutes with a beat. Yeah. <laughs> so I just, it's yeah. just, it's, it's interesting the way that that was done. So that's the one. Um, and I wanted people to check it out. I mean, besides the, I just thought it was really cool because I think we can get some really good ideas about how we are presenting our content on the enterprise level. So that's that. The second one I wanted to throw out, uh, of course, you know Scott Adams from Dilbert fame. Of course. Everyone does. Uh, I've been digging a lot. So he gets a bad rap because of the way, because he's got an interesting personality on social media, but I've actually been reading his new book called Loser Think, which is just a funny title. So his new book is called Loser Think. And there's, by the way, if you wanted a really good book on persuasive techniques of argumentation, this is a really good book to get. So I'll just leave that there, but that's not why I'm talking about it. Why I'm talking about it is, and I think it has a lot to do with what we were talking about with the World Economic Forum stuff. He has a, a couple chap, not a couple chap, a couple pages where he talks about building your talent stack and how you have to get out of your lane to grow. And of course, you you know we've heard the the expression "stay in your lane." You got to stay in your lane. You're you know you use, hey hey buddy, you stay in your lane. You don't know what <laughs> right. I'm going through. Right. But from a marketing standpoint, I, I totally believe that we should be an expert in one area. But at the same time, we really to really understand, let's say, the business model behind what we're doing, we do have to understand what the data scientist is doing. We do have to understand how what the copywriter is doing. Editor, we we have to spend time to understand those things, and I think a lot of people. I mean, maybe a, a lot of people that I've come in contact with from a marketing standpoint, they stay in their lane so much they're blind to the other things that are going on. And you even said just the whole silo approach that's going on in corporations. Yeah, I think they we have no have, empathy. Yeah. We have to fo- force ourselves out of our lane in order to grow as marketers. And I just love that whole aspect of if you are going to grow in your career and as an individual, you have to, you must get out of your lane. And that's the only way you're going to build a talent stack. So that's that comes from the book Loser Think by Scott Adams. Um, I really enjoy the book. I'm not done with it yet. I'm almost done with it. But it's, it's one of the rare – I mean, sometimes I take it into a business book and by the first 10 pages, I'm like, I know where this is going. I've learned all I can learn. I'm done. This book – I keep reading it and I'll learn something every other page. It's pretty That's good. awesome. Yeah. I love that. Oh, I'm I'm good. I'm going to definitely get that from my ride home. I mean, he because it's funny cuz he'll he he goes on to, I don't know how much people know about Scott Adams, but he's like a political pundit now and he's interviewed a lot because he gets on Twitter and he picks fights with people. He picks fights with both sides, but a lot of people cuz in some cases, people thought that he was defending Trump, but what he was doing in all this, he's at least the way he talks about it in the book, is he he breaks down their arguments. He basically says, "You well, you're the way you're arguing is silly," and then he'll he'll, <laughs> he'll he'll turn it right around on him. Right. So that's what he talks about in the book, just from a persuasive standpoint. And I think it's he basically the whole premise is. If you these are learned skills from a persuasive communication standpoint, and if you and ninety nine percent of the people that you deal with don't know and aren't learning these things, and you could basically dominate any conversation you get into. It's just so funny. Oh, I got I got to definitely get that yeah. book. Oh, you'll, I definitely want to see it. You'll love it. All right, so you uh, you have some commentary. 
I do. I yeah. So I guess it's commentary. It's not really a rant or a rave. Um, it is. Uh, so of course we opened the show and talked about the the latest news that we heard about uh, Kobe Bryant um, passing away tragically, as well as eight other people on that helicopter. Um, and but we lost another uh, really amazing person um, the last week, um, and his name was Clayton Christensen, and he was a huge influence in my life and my career. And so I just wanted to comment on, on, you know, we, we can lose a lot in the news when, when things, and, and I did not want to get, uh, let his loss, our loss of him go lost. And so I wanted to just, you know, talk a little bit about, you know, what he has meant to me in my career and sort of, you know, just, and, and as well give his work, you know, a shout out for all of you who, who may not be as familiar with his work. And of course, he's the Harvard Business School professor. In 1997, he wrote a book called The Innovator's Dilemma, which became a huge bestseller and one of the best business books of all time and, and largely called one of the better business books of all time. And of course, he's, you know, he's written so many books and, and wonderful books. And, and I got introduced to Clay Christensen in 1995, actually, because when I was <clears throat> transferring, I guess you could say, from the world of the artist, of screenwriter and musician and and uh, and all of that, and I was going into business. I sort of immersed myself into the you know the history of marketing and sales and business, and sort of immersed myself in Harvard Business School um, as a result of it. And there was an article that he uh, wrote called "Meeting the Challenge of Disruptive Change," um, and uh, you know, and and those articles like that sort of just it formed whatever early mind I had in the way of business and marketing and product development and everything around business. And then when I became, you know, I was CMO of a little small software company in the early 2000s and articles like marketing malpractice, the cause and the cure, of course, which introduced me to things like Theodore Levitt, which of course, you know, is now funny with how often I mention him and jobs to be done framework, um, which of course is a core piece of our, uh, you know, our workshops and education um, and on to the 2010s when I met you and, and quite frankly pivoted out of a corporate job and into sort of entrepreneurism. And interestingly, right there in 2010, just as I was making this transition, um, Clayton Christensen published a, an article which would subsequently call the book um, called How Will You Measure Your Life? Where he talks about how uh, the, the conclusion of that is management, as he called it, is the most notable of professions if it's practiced well. And what it gave me was an understanding of my role as management consultant or business consultant was that it wasn't my lot in life to help companies. What that book taught me was that it was my lot in life to help people. And my job was to help people grow and evolve and contribute to the success of their teams. And if it helped a company or two along the way, well, that was, that was really great. Um, and so I was, you know, as I was looking over and I spent the weekend, you know, sort of rereading and doing some stuff with Clay Christensen, and certainly in the preparation of, of the show and all of that, I was sort of looking it over. And I was thinking to myself that, you know, I'd never, I never had the pleasure of meeting the man. Um, and, but I also didn't do what I had hoped to do, which was to send him a letter saying thank you for all of the, and I have a letter written um, oh, wow. to him that I never sent because I was always kind of nervous to send it, you know, because it's one of those things where you don't meet your heroes kind of thing. And of course, he, he would be the one guy that you could meet because he was generally considered to be a sweet, very nice, and of course, uh, very religious and spiritual man as well. And so I regret not sending the letter. And so I sort of made a promise to myself that I was going to start sending those kinds of letters to all the people that sort of mean things to me before, before it you know, ends up being too, too late. And I'll end just with this because it, I think it's just a really uh, interesting thing. And it ties into something you just said with regard to changing the way that we communicate with online learning and, and all of that. There was an interview he did about his spirituality, um, and he was a he was a Church of the Latter Day Saints LDS member for forty years or something, and um, he asked how the 
role of teacher was being disrupted, you know, and being innovated. And what he said was, it was interesting to him, he said, because the teacher's real job to be done, you know, in, in using his language, was to change a life, right? It was to change lives. It wasn't to teach. It was to truly change a change a life. And he was always struck by whenever he would go back to Harvard Business School and have, you know, all sorts of reflections with other professors, how many of the students the, and the ones that they would remember as well as the things that the students would remember were are the professors, the teachers who changed their life. And um, and that was always something that was very meaningful for him, you know, as he said, um, when he would, you know, when he's going to go to meet God, he's going to be um, measured by, you know, the lives that he changed, not how high he was in the org chart or how many, you know, cars he had or how much money he had. And what he said was, he said, you know, this idea of the spiritual changing of the life of teachers is truly what the teacher is becoming because as online content, as he said, and digital and technology make online learning, you know, democratized, the idea is, is that the only thing that can't be replaced is how a professor changes a kid's life. And I just think that's just amazing. And it's just yet another thing that Christensen can teach us and something I'll take with me. So I just wanted to honor him a little bit with this, uh, with this piece and, and not lose him and everything else that uh, had to happen this week. Oh, that's, uh, that's beautiful. I did not read How Will You Measure Your Life. Is, is, that, is that a book? It's a wonderful book. Is it's a, a wonderful, wonderful. Okay, I'll put it yeah, on the list. It's a wonderful book. Wonderful yeah. book. Yeah. I will, uh, I will check that out. That's fantastic. Boy, that's amazing how you started your journey there and, and all the, the people that he introduced you to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's, you know, it's just, you know, I mean, look, I am, you know, admittedly, <laughs> it's probably too much um, of a fanboy of the Harvard Business School and all of the people that they produce. Sort of it is, it, it ends up being my, and I never went there. I mean, to be clear, I never went to Harvard Business School, but I, of course, sort of surreptitiously or virtually went there because of everything that I read and dove into. But yeah, it was a core, he was a core piece of that. And uh it's uh, I'm I'm better for it for sure. So my friend, how long are you in uh, Pittsburgh for? I'm in Pittsburgh for two days, the Burg of Pitt, um, and uh, yeah, I'm hoping to get you know. There's that restaurant where they. So I have to go to this place. Do you know about this thing where the the French fries are in the sandwich? Apparently, you're talking you know about, about a panini. I, is that what it is? I mean, I know yes. what a panini is—the classic Italian panini—but is that what they call it here? Uh, yeah, it's. It, I. I no. I think they call it something different in Pittsburgh, but in Cleveland, it'd be a panini. For there are French fries in the sandwich, fr- and it's they're fantastic. It's okay. absolutely fantastic. We have a, apparently we have a, that's the thing I have to do here. We have a and 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 my you know our buddy Joe Kalinowski is going to kill me for not knowing the name that it's called in Pittsburgh. But we have a we have a uh, restaurant chain in the Cleveland, Ohio area called Paninis. And that's what they serve. So it's basically French fries, coleslaw, and then whatever you order. So if it's you know turkey or you you had an egg sandwich or whatever, that's your sandwich. Um, and it's huge. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, all right. Well, I'm saving up my appetite for it. So you will you will absolutely love it. You will yeah. not be disappointed. Yeah. And then I'm home. And then I'm home for a couple of weeks. So uh, the next time we do this little wonderful thing, I will be from the safe, ensconced version of my office in the lovely Los Angeles, California. Excellent. And Excellent. you? Uh, it's, uh, I've got uh, actually, actually kind of a busy week <laughs> this week <laughs> for me. Uh, but tomorrow I'm um, I'm actually doing a little marketing The drink's going to have to have two umbrellas this yeah, ex- week. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Uh, t- tomorrow <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm doing a marketing presentation at the Hudson, Ohio Library. There are over 150 signed up. So I do a, a presentation for the, the Hudson folks are great. Every year I go speak on something. So I'm doing it on the future of marketing this year. Oh, nice! So, yeah, I'm going to talk to them a little bit, and then uh, <laughs> you can you can just start. You just continue that. You just hit hit. Um, let me just play you something. You can Actually, just I'm play just going to play this. Yeah, I'm going <laughs> to sit back, and we're all going to listen to you yeah. on this podcast. So it'll be yeah. it'll be fun. Nice. Well, of course, that's it, folks. Oh my gosh, we are signing off. And if you like this episode, episode number two hundred and twenty-six. Hard to believe. Uh, that is right. Subscribe, won't you? Resubscribe if you're just catching this. We've gotten a bunch of social media messages over the last couple of weeks like, hey, 
they're back. I didn't even know. Well, yeah, let your friends know. Let everybody know that we're back and we're uh, having some fun here doing this snarky little every other week thing. Um, And of course, we need your story ideas. Hashtag us up at this old marketing. Hashtag this old marketing for story ideas. If you want to talk about Kyle, the creator, or you want to talk about Taylor Swift or any of that, please do so. We would love to get something going with uh, us and Taylor Swift or Kyle, the creator. That would be fun. Um, and of course, <laughs> review us. We need those reviews. Go click through through the ad. Do all that stuff that makes us uh, look like we know what we're doing here and, and, and can actually keep this thing going for a while. Um, if you want more Joe Polizzi, and of course, who doesn't want more Joe Polizzi in their lives, where can they go for you, oh, Mr. Geez. Man? Yeah, go, go to uh, JoePolizzi.com, P-U-L-I-Z-Z-I, and then uh, uh, big push for the book is coming up. The launch is the first week of March, uh, so you can go to thewilltodie.com to get information on that. But I'm sure you'll be hearing more about that in the next few episodes. So I I'll leave it, I'll I leave it there. How about you, sir? Uh, of course, uh, we are at the lovely www.contentadvisory.net or tca.inc, tca.inc, if you want to type in fewer characters into your browser. Um, And you can get to our newsletter there. And of course, you can get to all the things we're thinking about these days. Um, And that's it. Basically, remember the story ideas. Everything else we talked about will be in the show notes that we'll publish out with the episode itself. And uh, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Remember, everybody, it is your story to tell. Tell it well. See you in a couple of weeks on This Old Marketing.